Please be seated. I welcome you to this service of worship on Christmas, on Christmas Sunday. Um, it's good for all of us to be here as we're singing. Karen leaned over to me and said, you know, Christmas should always be on a Sunday. And uh, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but, and it isn't, so we can't really make that happen. Uh, but uh, at least they haven't made it the fourth Monday of every December. Uh, so we're, uh, we're good to, uh, to be here today. Next Sunday, one service as well, 10 o'clock. Uh, the only difference, next Sunday service will have child care nursery through uh, children's church as usual. This Sunday we're all together, and so that's a, a, great, a great time for us. Uh, in light of that, all being together, I won't preach one longer sermon, but three little meditations. I promise they won't be three long ones, but three meditations uh, to touch on uh, something that we've been, we've been moving towards this, uh, this, Advent, this Advent season. So next Sunday, worship at 10, just as this week um, as well. To the kids who are here. Way to go. Way to go. I know it's Christmas Sunday and you had tons of stuff on your mind other than coming to church today, but, uh, but it's good you're here. God's very pleased that you're here, that you stopped mid-rap perhaps uh, and uh, left stuff back there waiting, and now our minds turn towards worship. Every Sunday, no matter what else happens on a Sunday, Every Sunday, the most important thing that happens is that we worship together, and that's true today as well. So today, even though it's Christmas and we're unwrapping presents and all the fun of that and family traditions and all of that on this Christmas day, as you go to bed tonight, you think back upon it, register in your mind that the best thing that happened today was that we worshiped God together because it's Sunday. All right? Good. What I want to do is think about together this morning and sing a bit after each of these brief sermons, these meditations. What I want to do is, is, is draw our attention around this last description of Jesus, last description of Jesus, because we've been thinking through this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, that this child who was to be born, this son who was to be given, would be given a name. Yes, it would be Emmanuel, God with us, as we understood from Isaiah chapter 7, but this name that would be given him would be Wonderful Counselor, the, the Wise One, the one who, whose, whose wisdom is so great that it's unfathomable to us. He's the wonder counselor. He's the wise, the wise one. He'd be the mighty God. That is, he would have the very power of God because he would be God with us. The very power of God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, that he would have the compassion, the very goodness of the perfect father. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then this one, the Prince, of, the Prince of Peace. And so as we come to that, let me first read from Isaiah and chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, just two verses. This is a familiar passage, I suspect, to us. It's one of the servant songs in Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah. It's, it's, it's one that uh, speaks as clearly of Jesus 
as anything that we could imagine before his coming. Isaiah chapter 15, 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, as Isaiah was writing, peace was very much on the minds of the people in ancient Judah. Peace was very much on their minds. But it was really a peace that we would consider to be a political peace or a peace among nations because they're always under attack, most especially in the passages that we were reading in this, this Emmanuel song, as it's called in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and so forth, in this song of Emmanuel that, 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 that the prophet Isaiah laid out before King Ahaz. The, the great threats to the people were were the nation of Syria and their um, really uh, brothers in Israel, the northern kingdom, and then the great power of Assyria. So those were the key ones. And, and you remember that it was Israel and Syria that were most, uh, that were closest to Judah in coming to attack them. And the prophet Isaiah brought word and said, don't worry about them. Ahaz, trust God, don't worry about them. There will be peace. That is to say, they, they won't overtake you. So, so trust God and all will be well. We know that he didn't. And, and thus, peace ultimately uh, didn't come. It, it, it certainly didn't. Uh, God's word was true that Assyria and Israel didn't, uh, didn't prevail against Judah, but his alliance with the Assyrians would ultimately uh, be their great discomfort and demise. But the question is, this prince of peace, this one who would rule over this, 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 this peace would be more than just peace among nations, wouldn't it? There was something deeper than just that. There certainly would be this sense of peace among people. Peace among people. Peace, peace in the context of husbands and wives and children and parents and neighbors and friends and all of that. Peace in, that, uh, in those settings there. And also a subjective kind of a peace, a, a peace within, no anxiety, no real hostility from without, no real hostility from within, this kind of peace, all of that would be, would be overtaken, uh, you see, no insecurities, no fears. What makes you anxious? What makes us afraid? See, all of that would be dealt with by this one who would come, who would be this, this prince of peace, who would be a real peace, not, not just some sort of cold war, not just sort of peaceful equilibrium where, where nations would all have enough power so, so that none would attack the other, no one would hit the red button, if you will, because they, they knew what would happen. And so it wasn't that kind of just sort of peaceful equilibrium, this sort of cold war situation, no, but, but really a real peace, not a treaty, not a truce, but, but, but a, real, a real peace, peace as the scripture tells us, peace, peace on earth. And as we've mentioned so much in the last month or so, what we realize is when we look around, we don't see that. And, and so, so really, what, what is meant by this one who will bring peace? Who can really bring it? Who can really make it? All of human history, there's still hostility nation to nation. There's still hostility among people, even in the context of the closest relationships with family, even in the closest relationships in the context of church, 
hostility, who can bring this peace? There's still within us anxiety and fear and insecurity and all of that. Who can bring this peace? The question is, what's the real source of the hostility? What's the real source of the problem? And who can really deal with the source of this problem? Only this one who is the one who is the wonderful counselor, has the unfathomable plan, something we obviously can't conceive of because we haven't been able to make it happen. Someone who has the power to make it happen. Someone, someone who has the goodness, really, and the compassion to really make sure that it happens. It's one who has the power and the sovereignty to rule over all of this. This one who is this prince of peace, the source of the problem as we realize is the fact that we're not, well, let's put it this way, that we live in hostility with God. But that's the problem, really. You see, that human beings are running around trying to be him. You know, the problem started in the Garden of Eden, obviously. It started there with Adam, who for us, stood for us, and, and, and sinned and rebelled against God. And when he did, he, he really bought into this lie that you can be as God in the sense that you can be the very one who is the wise counselor. You can be the very one who is the mighty one. You can be the very one who is the good one, and you can rule over all of this in your own wisdom, in your own strength, in your own goodness. And, and you see, at that point in time, Adam, Adam was taken and put in a place where he was never meant to be. And that is in his own mind to be independent from God. See, our wisdom is to be from God. He's the one who's to teach us and instruct us. Our strength is to be from him. Our goodness is to be as he defines it, not as, as we define it. We're to submit to his rule and his reign and live under him. But of course, Adam, Adam succumbed to all of this, and, 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 and it brought hostility, uh, not only between nations as nations would develop because of the sin in humanity, but, but also uh, among people and also with God. You see, obviously... There was great trouble. This was illustrated by King Ahaz in his own life. Ahaz was supposed to trust God but didn't. Ahaz trusted his own wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. Ahaz trusted his own strength and the strength of the, the, the Assyrian nation with whom he had aligned. He, he trusted his own goodness to say, yes, I have the best interest of the people in mind. He trusted in his own rule and reign and he gave up, if you will, on God and trusted himself and thus saw no peace. So how would this peace come? It was very interesting that Israel had, in picture form, this peace illustrated before their very eyes. It was a, a bit of a shadow, what a dear friend of mine calls a shadowy picture of what was to come. And it was in this offering that was made called the peace offering. And the peace offering was, 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 was an offering that ancient Israelites would give to God that combined really two aspects of sacrifice uh, because it combined an atonement sacrifice for sins that is a burnt offering, but also something else. And that something else was a celebration, was a party really. 
On the one hand, there was a burnt offering made for the sins of people. Now, normally when a burnt offering was made, it was all made and all given to God. The whole thing was burnt up, and there you go. And, and, and this said to God, we deserve to die, but take this substitute on our behalf. But when a peace offering was made, there was something different. Only part of it was burned up completely. The rest of it was taken and served. And so what would happen if you were bringing a peace offering or a fellowship offering, it was also called, is you'd bring this peace offering and an atonement was made for sins. You'd say, yes, I know I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I don't deserve to live with him and his people. Uh, and so my sins are atoned for. And then you'd take the rest of the offering, the meat from the offering, and you would sit down with the priests and your invited guests, your friends, and you would sit there and eat in the presence of God. And what you were saying is, because of the fact that I'm reconciled to God, I now have peace. Have peace with my friends. Have peace with God. And so everyone knew that the secret to peace was first reconciliation to God. And so when this one who would come, who would be the Prince of Peace, it would be as the prophet says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You see, it was Jesus taking the penalty for our sin, being our burnt offering, being our sacrifice, if you will, being the one that God would take for us that we might, in fact, in fact, live. And so, no surprise that when Isaiah speaks of this one who is to come, in Isaiah, in chapter 9, he speaks of this one, and he writes, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, There'll be no one on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Apostle Paul spins from this, if you will. It, it informs what he writes. And so in 2 Corinthians in five, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, he writes, For our sake... Profound statement for our sake. God has done something for us, for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Colossians, in chapter 1, in verse 19, we read this. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, by way of this peace offering, sins atoned for, reconciliation with God, to live at peace in his presence. Hmm. Please stand to sing.